I'm a talkative person because I'm an SE dom. It's like my only world is the physical. My words are the only means of me getting out my meaning and intention. We'll see if I eat those words. She'll be entertaining others all the time. This is exactly where I wanted to go with it. <laughs> Do I not dare to this bump on a podcast with people can hear me. You guys ready to go? Yeah, Kate. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Literally No Subtext podcast. I am here with my dear friend and housemate, Marie. Hello Marie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. So I posted up on my Instagram the other day a couple, uh, a notice that I'd be interviewing my ENTJ housemate for the second time. Yes, there is another episode where I interviewed Marie with my ESTJ housemate, Sarah. You can check that episode out if you go back onto the podcast. And I asked you guys on Instagram for questions. Now that we don't have the ESTJ keeping Mm. us surface level, Sarah, (laughs) looking at you. (laughs) I asked you for questions that would encourage us to do a bit of a deep dive today. And in fact, I even said, let's make it uncomfortable. Oh, nice. Thanks, Kristen. (laughs) Because we do know that ENTJs like to dive, don't you, Marie? Yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I feel like ENTJs kind of, they get a bit of a bad rap in the Myers-Briggs community and through no fault of my own. I'm certainly not perpetuating those stereotypes on my channel. Really, Kristen? (laughs) (laughs) They get get a bit of a bad rap. And so I'm really excited to have an ENTJ on the podcast. Uh, Marie is actually a very insightful woman who has a lot of interest in Myers-Briggs. So she has some really good... Uh, insights to offer up us today I have great um great faith in her I'll try how's <laughs> that I'm really setting you up here to do well like you better <laughs> yeah, not fail no me pressure. <laughs> it's not gonna be a painful fall <laughs> now I got about 150 130 I think questions from you guys and I mean we are not we're probably not going to get through all of them in fact I would endeavor to say we probably won't even get through 10 of those questions Marie what do you think um yeah it depends on the question Shall um, I challenge you to get past if certain I, amounts? This is a tip with ENTJs. If you ta- if you challenge them, they will <laughs> we'll take they, out the yeah, challenge. They will, they, the fact that you've challenged them yeah. means that they're likely to take the bait. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to answer at least 15 questions today. You reckon that's fair? Okay, I'll definitely go for it. Now, a lot of the questions that you guys submitted, we we already touched on in the other TE Dom episode that I mentioned, where uh, my other housemate Sarah was um, with me and Marie on the podcast I would recommend that you check out that episode for sure because Marie and Sarah answered a lot of the questions you guys submitted on Instagram already in that episode things like especially do you get along with ESTJs that was a question we got a lot Mm. this time around do you get along with ESTJs absolutely people are just wanting to know this beef between TE doms everyone just kind of (laughs) believes that the TE doms sort of like have this rivalry okay I feel like we need to unpack that later yeah (laughs) I feel like you've already unpacked it in the other episode. So, yeah. yeah, strong recommend for you guys to go check out that episode. No, unpack why everyone thinks that we are beef. We have yeah. beef against each other. It's probably something to do with the stereotypes of TE as well in general. Maybe. So, I feel like that's all the introduction we need. Let's dive straight in. Yep, go for it. Are you nervous? No, not really. I have no idea what to expect. Yeah. <laughs> we have eye contact at the moment and I'm sensing some nerves in her eyes. <laughs> what drama (laughs) (laughs) all right first question i saw it in a meme actually so let's confirm if it's true do entj secretly read romantic novels secretly i think the keyword is secretly Mm. um 
yes, I definitely do read romantic novels, but I think it's interesting why they say secretly. Well, because society can't know that you have feelings <laughs> or that you're sensitive. Well, heaven forbid. Lol. I think that's a stereotype. That's it for is, sure. Yeah. But yeah, maybe I, I do get why the meme comes up as a meme because we are often seen as doers and we are operating in the world as doers. So we don't usually share that we're going to be reading a secret, you know, a romance novel. Yeah, we do like reading now and then. Romance novels. Reading now and then. Oh, okay. I'm glad you added romance novels. I'm staring at the 1,000 books that you have <laughs> on these bookshelves in our house. Ladies and gentlemen, none of I which, read. Yeah, none of which I've seen you pick up, like, since we moved here. No, yeah, so that's the thing is I read in my room when oh, the door's right. closed. And Marie is actually a big fan of romance, I must say. Like, I've walked on you. I've walked in on you watching Pride and Prejudice and you'll quickly close your laptop and, like... <laughs> Pretend that you're studying. Oh, so my dark secrets are out (laughs) Just because we're housemates. (laughs) You appreciate romance for sure. Your biggest aha moment when you discovered you were an ENTJ. Ooh. That's hard. It's a good one, huh? Mm. Do you want to help spark my memories? This is why I wanted to, yeah, Marie has no memory. (laughs) (laughs) I may endeavor, because you've asked for my help, Mm. to say it might have been something to do with oh, this makes so much sense as to why, like, I've never communicated as easily with fellow women the way that Mm. I'm expected to. Absolutely. I think, okay, maybe not, that's not the aha moments, but I think the aha moment ties deeper into how I feel about things and think. And, yeah, a lot of women, especially I do have a lot of feeler friendships sorry I have female friendships that are um feeler women's and not being able to relate in terms of emotions or how we understand emotions probably being the biggest one yeah yeah I think aha was when I realized how different I am from my siblings because they're Mm. all feelers and so I was like aha how rude to Peter Except for Peter. How rude to <laughs> your brother. Is, if it isn't an STP, he's working on his car all the time. Talk about stereotypes, right? But yeah, anyways. So. What are ENTJs like at their worst? Gosh, these are good ones. They are. Very vague too. Yeah, and we should flag that like, we of course should flag that like, not all ENTJs are the same in mm, all ways. So it's very say. hard to answer this on behalf of all ENTJs. But yeah. maybe a tendency that they would have. I think it depends on where the unhealthiness lies. I think anyone who is unhealthy um, or wounds come out or any particular time where they're not in their best, their cognitive functions don't work with each other. So in the case of an ENTJ, if their cognitive functions aren't working with each other, you might see them either being extra TE without aligning themselves with the patterns or principles, or you might see them do, do, do without having a lot of fun, taking a step back and just appreciating the present moment I tend Mm. to do that sometimes Um, Mm. or it could be the other way around where we get too much in our head and we have a lot of NIFI complexities that we can't quite iron out and just sort of put answers to Um, and then we realize we do need to maybe operate a bit more in the exterior world which if we forget you know I guess that's another situation of like a depressed ENTJ so they're too much in there um, making patterns without conclusions or making patterns based on emotions, not on logic. And that's not, it, that's actually doesn't make sense to any ENTJ. So, what about being controlling? Yeah, definitely. I think we have the aptitude of being extra controlling in 
um, patterns, especially overthinking thoughts and ideals is a big one. So getting overconfident, because if an ENTJ knows that they are quite logical at times, they can get overconfident that they're too logical and not align themselves to a logic that aligns with the heart, so as to speak. So, um, yeah, that's something I've definitely fallen for at times. It's like when I've not been in touch with my feelings or in a, in a great place and I just do, 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 and I think very logically. Um, but when sometimes certain things I experience or I see in the world and then I make a judgment based on what I see or think. Um, sometimes what I see or think is based on emotional experience. But if I deny that it's an emotional experience, I do deny some of the premises of that particular argument or that particular statement or data, which I could be used then to make my judgment, if that makes sense. Look, it's a pretty abstract way of saying things. Could we, you know, maybe ground it <laughs> in an example? Um, yeah, so an example could be like if um, if I'm basically talking about my experience with a relationship, hypothetically speaking, then say this particular friend um, said something to me in a particular way and then a thing happened event happened and I just translated the whole event including the words that person said to me in um as da 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 one in a very what I think is a logical way but really um what I'm experiencing is maybe an emotional reaction to that particular person Mm. the word they said and I forget those reactions which does then form part of that logic and Mm. and so I make a I make a wrong judgment in that I see Um, yeah that makes sense so that could be an example how about being pessimistic or complaining a lot? I think we come across as complaining because we do perceive and see a lot of patterns that happen in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we do see a lot of potentialities, whether good or bad. And we don't often know what not to filter. I mean, we can, but we sometimes don't care and we just want to mm-hmm. say it. But we're not very attached to a lot of those patterns. So yeah. they come across as complaining, but we don't really, we're not really complaining, if that makes sense. Because it doesn't really matter to us so much. Yeah. So then why say it, Marie? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're an ESFP, Kristen. <laughs> Did you forget I'm an ESFP? No. Oh, it must be because I'm so wise <laughs> and intelligent. Just kidding. That's not to imply ESFPs can't be that. Oh, you're absolutely wise and intelligent. Oh, thank Just you. Break any stereotype. <laughs> All right. Next question. Attempt to make small talk for one minute with yourself. The more surface level, the better. I included this because I'm very keen to see this. I'm going to time you. Oh, my god! You've got to go for one the minute. The trick is with myself. If it was someone yeah. else. Yeah, you're doing two parts of the conversation. Oh, my god! Just gosh. for one minute. That's nothing. <laughs> okay, ready? Oh. And go. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Um, the weather's great. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's such a nice sunny day today. <laughs> it is. It is quite warm. <laughs> the cringe <laughs> temperature. Go on, keep going. What are you doing today? Oh, um, yeah, just pottering around. I'm having a pleasant day. What are you up to today? Not much. Um, well, a lot busy, but you know, also not much. <laughs> I am certainly more oh, surface level killing this. Okay, more surface. That's too deep. Uh, what's your favorite color? 
Uh, blue. What's yours? <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, Not long to go. Okay, great. Uh, what? Can you tell me some of your favorite TV shows? Oh, I love like chick flicks, romance, you know, also great action films. Oh, cool. Um, any great action films you like? Um, battle films? <laughs> okay, your time's up. <laughs> to go okay why did you <laughs> yeah, like that movie exactly oh my gosh and playing playing yourself and yourself to each other is just so oh it's so weird yeah anyways can't explain um also i can now reveal that the person who asked that question was bonnie the isdj who oh, come us. Off it. <laughs> wow she's Classic. our ex-housemate love you bonds <laughs> oh my gosh i know how to get you back bonnie yeah <laughs> Okay, next question. Do you find yourself constantly drawn to ENFPs? Brackets, this ENTJ does. I assume it was asked by an ENTJ. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I find ENFPs very inspiring people and very um, interesting. They have a lot to offer and they're very artistic in a way that we possibly could never be or I couldn't be. So, yeah. Do you think that they kind of draw you out of your, they kind of draw your childlikeness out? Yeah, they do. They definitely do. Um, yes, uh, I think ENFPs, well, the ENFPs that I know are very comfortable in their, and they're very childlike, um, in their artistic ways, so to speak, and their chaoticness as well, which they might not see as a good thing, but to me, it's very good because I'm very, I'm prone to structure constantly and that it can be, if I depend on structure too much, that can be a bit of a blind spot. So, um, yeah, they they um kind of a comfort zone for me. Does the devil think he's evil? Does the devil think he's evil? Holy moly. Gosh, that's a big extent. um well I don't think the devil sees the word evil and think of the same description as we do as human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the devil knows that he is fighting for dominance against good. And so I don't think he would go, oh, I am evil the same way we think of evil. When we think of evil, we think of it as something against which we we are made for, which we desire, you know, or sometimes our failings. And I think the devil would not see that because his success is to be the epitome of evil, is to conquer, is to overcome good in any way he can. Does he even know that? that he's fighting against the ultimate good? Would he even identify the ultimate good as the ultimate good? Not necessarily. Mm. I don't think so. I mean, for us, when we talk about... uh, It's hard because good and evil is a language that we've used within the spiritual um, world against, you know, internal internal battle warfare and depending on how we've been brought up and our faith and et cetera and our philosophy. But I think the devil will probably just see it as... You look to me, you know, he probably looked at God and said, you look like a power that I do not want to submit to. So I want to be that dominant power. Um, And I don't think he'd look at God and say, see it as goodness, nor would he see goodness as goodness. Mm. So, yeah, gosh, big philosophical question. I feel like 
And I gosh, can't. I love how effortlessly you just went into that. Like, I don't think I even <laughs> have to edit like that. I'm I don't struggling. have to edit out any pauses there. You were oh, like, wow. big question. So this is the discourse I've had with myself on this. Wow. I don't I just feel like I don't even I feel like that's just a key a key to Yeah, anyway, a big chest. Do you fall in love fast or slowly? I used to think I fall in love fast, but I'm not so sure if I do anymore. I'm going to withhold my opinions. Let yeah, you Kristen. Kristen, I mean, as housemate, you obviously mm. and um, best friend, you see a lot of me and know how I am, how I tick. I think I, when I meet someone who in time has shown that I've fallen in love with, in the first instant I meet them, I often have a very good intuition and judgment on them. And I have this connection and sort of make a judgment based on that. Um, and most of the times my intuition has been right. And, and, but in terms of falling in love, I think circumstance has been a big part to play in how I've fallen in love. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I do fall in love slowly one day. I don't know. So I've noticed with you, Marie, that one thing that happens is because you see such utter potentiality in everyone and everything. Mm. When you meet someone, I've often found that you love everyone you meet, like on a level. Yeah. Because you see just you just see utter potentiality okay i was assuming when you said fall in love yeah, is romantic yeah, yeah. And it, it, i think the question is with, romantic yeah, but yeah just i think i've seen you love people very quickly yeah but I that's credit do. to who you are you're virtuous yeah well i think i i do love people but i i think i've learned through time that i can love people too much too quickly and may have been slightly askewed in my judgment um, not wrong in my judgment of their character, but maybe slightly skewed in how they would turn out to be. Mm. Um, and then maybe could have maybe been too attached and held on to that. Mm. Um, that's probably makes me a little bit more careful now. But yeah. I think, yeah, I do. I definitely do. Actually, let's put it this way. I do fall in love with people when I meet them, but I love who they are as people. And then as you get to know them and get closer to them in friendship, then I strip away a wall after a wall and then just... I guess that person who ultimately one day, if that is the romantic person, is the object of my love life or whatever, um, then I think it will get to a stage where all these walls have been slowly stripped apart, mm. you know. So I think it wouldn't be a case for you of falling in love quickly or slowly, but how quickly or slowly you realise that you've fallen in love. I think maybe the feelings would happen, but you'd take a longer time to, to realize, adjust them yeah to, yeah. to realize that, yeah, that right. you've fallen in love yeah i agree i probably agree with that in what ways aren't you like the stereotypes hmm i think the stereotypes put entjs as a ceo types definitely commando that's what i get a lot when i see on the internet i think we have the aptitude to be the commander types but then automatically kind of assumes that the commander means being able to dominate a room being able to manage people being able to read everyone in order to manage them you know in order to create things um obviously having long-term goals as yeah, as goals sorry long-term projects as goals um all of which i could do and i definitely do but that's just a quarter of a site um of an entj and i think it's more the potentiality of what an entj could do as opposed to that's what an ENTJ is. Mm. So I think, yes, we definitely have 
great aptitude and potentiality to be the commando types because we ha- we know we, we are good at managing people. We are good at reading lots of different people in the room. We do have long-term goals. We are good at problem solving. We are very good at articulating, analyzing and seeing what's the best result, you know, um, whether it's for people or things or objects or, or whatever, passions, goals. Um, but at the same time, the ENTJs can be quite sensitive people. And I think another part of them is that they just truly want to be loved in, I mean, everyone wants to be loved, but ENGJs probably struggle the most in knowing how to be loved because we can distracted by the commando part of the stereotype, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And having TE is a top function. We're very goal oriented in the way we talk and act. So I think we, sometimes some people misunderstand that. Yeah, I think a lot of ENTJs, and especially good ENTJs who I think are growing in virtue and trying to be as holistic as they can be, should allow themselves to, you know, they it's a lot of ENTJs can be quite the sensitive motherly types or can be the fun, playful types in their own way, I guess, or at least allow those parts of their personality to nurture. I hope that answers your question. I think I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I know, you're talking and I'm like, what was the question again? Yeah. I was like, Classic. where am I going on? A couple of tangents, I think. I've noticed that you tend to find yourself in CEO roles of almost every situation. That's Even true. our housemate situation, <laughs> like the housemate dynamic, yeah, moving house, true. everything. But you have a gift for it and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I certainly value that because mm. I just, it's my le- that's my least comfortable role to be in. Yeah. Personally. I think, yeah, that's true. That's very true. We are very much um, good at that and it's natural. Uh, it's not It's not a problem for us. I know some people it's stressful to, you know, organise or step in or just sort of take charge or whatever. But I think it's important for ENTJs to know that they have a very sensitive side and mm. a very internal um, area so that they need to cultivate and foster yeah and yeah. and also a very very adventurous playful yeah. area which I think sometimes it's easy to go oh I'm the ENTJ I'm not the playful one or I can be a little bit chaotic you know yeah so oh, absolutely <clears throat> I appreciate your chaos <laughs> yeah I do have my own chaos too. Marie can sometimes get quite physically chaotic as I can yeah and I think we really like I feel yeah, like a kindred that. spirit is with that. <laughs> you can validate your presence. Because it's your, it's your mind that's not chaotic. You, what, you crave mind and like structure and order in your mind, Yeah. right? But the physical doesn't matter as much because of your SE. Well, I, I do have chaos in my mind too sometimes. But I think it's more just because there's so many thoughts and yeah, sorry, and I, ideas. I didn't mean mind, maybe, but, maybe I but meant But there like, is a structure. No, absolutely. Yeah, there yeah, is a yeah. structure. Ideals yeah. or visions and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a hard time admitting you're wrong? Ah, uh, yes, definitely. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Not all the time, though. Only when you're very invested in a conversation about a about a principle or a yeah, idea. absolutely. I mean, there's two parts to it. I think there's one plain arrogance, and that can be nurtured sometimes. As an ENTJ, we sometimes think we know everything because we really? constantly <laughs> constantly great. so I love you (laughs) yeah so we're constantly creating those patterns in our head and we're constantly thinking and we can see where others don't think 
if that makes sense, or others miss certain mm. premises in the arguments or others miss miss or haven't thought about this or haven't thought about that. So it's very, in a comparative state, it's really easy to nurture complacency. But on the other hand, the arrogance can come across more as where we are just very attached to our NI pattern about a particular thing, especially like you said, if we're passionate about a particular topic. So they, we, like if I'm particularly attached to, I'll say for example, I love, I love certain theological and philosophical paradigms and scholarship around that, right? So if someone comes to me, you know, uh, so just for a bit more context, like I do really like the writings of a particular person who was um, in the 19th century. His name is John Henry Newman. And if someone who came to me and who himself is uh, a Newman, you know, interest or passion about, passionate about Newman said, oh, you're wrong in this particular thing. Um, if they have a good argument, it is easy for me to go, okay, you're probably right in this. But if they don't know, it is very hard for me to accept them at their value because I know that I have read a lot about him or I know I have particular attachments to particular patterns yeah, of thought. I've I notice you him. get particularly worked up when someone focuses on like an accidental, like physical data or the words someone said. Or, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. if they're crying, like, you're to- missing the yeah. principle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely, yeah a thing that frustrates me especially if they're looking for truth and it's like well that's not a truth statement i mean well you can get to it anyways yeah <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> also we're up to, up to our 10th question and we've been recording for only 27 minutes Good. i am optimistic you did say challenge oh the way she just looked at me she's like <laughs> yep did you doubt me <laughs> next question what do you do for a job do you enjoy it and what would your dream job be so I'm currently working in a role that is um, diverse in nature. So I'm currently wearing a few hats. It's branching corporate and teaching education. And I'm just working in a, uh, let's put it this way, I'm working in a school, but I'm helping, it's a new school and helping setting it up at the moment. Um, I'm not the, see, so I'm the EA and I'm also a one of the teachers. Um that's the first part of the question, isn't it? What's the second part of the question? Yeah. Do you enjoy it? And what would your dream job be? Yeah, definitely enjoy it. I think I enjoy the versatility and the variety. Um, and there's a lot of variety. Like I feel like no day is the same for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I just love it because you're constantly learning. You're constantly problem solving. A lot like of no specific things. routine. Like there's so much freedom for you to operate in your life. That's right. Like, exactly. There is love. routine, but I create the routines. Oh, and yeah. So that's why it's really good in that sense. Um, yes. And I feel like I'm quite fortunate in my role that I have a lot of freedom and a lot of trust with my teammates and my boss. So that's a very good thing. And I know it's quite rare sometimes in the workplaces. My dream job maybe would be one day either a a principal or this is random, but I've always liked the concept of the Renaissance man. So I don't like having one dream job, but having a few dream jobs at the same time. So if I could have a dream area or dream job, in different areas that are particular passions of mine that's probably the ideal so like I'd love to be a pilot one day and then I'd love to be an archaeologist as well as a scholar uh, historian more a lecturer naturally I'd love to teach history and archaeology if that's ever comes a chance one day why do you get out of bed in the morning what is your deepest motivation to stay alive you mean the moment when I get out of bed? Do I think about my It's motivation? like the classic motivation. It's not 
the day-to-day what are you thinking when you physically get out of bed it's more like what gets you out of bed in the morning what's your motivation for being alive Mm. I think life is motivation in of itself for being alive and it's very abstract but profound (laughs) ah yeah sorry like you've woken up and you're like hmm I'm alive today (laughs) great I will therefore get up and that's as far as it goes you mean to tell me that's as far as it goes (laughs) I don't believe you (laughs) no it's not a thought it's, it's just a gut it's just a motivation yeah. i mean what is yeah. you mean like the beauty of life and the transience of life and which is life itself yeah you know that's not obvious to some people yeah, I know. <laughs> oh gosh to be honest when i wake up in the morning all i feel is <sighs> i've got a very heavy body and I'm very tired. My eyes can't open. So what's the best way to open my eyes? Because <laughs> I know I need to. Mm. That's literally the thoughts that enter my head. Yeah. I think it was less a, what is it actually like physically for you to wake up? It was more like a, uh, those questions were synonymous. Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm. Slash what's your motivation in life? Yeah. So I, I, I know I've got work to do in the day and I know I have a time... I can't just waste around and I know I wouldn't like feel good if I just sit, sat in bed the whole day. I might feel good. Come enough. on, go wider. <laughs> Come on, Sarah. Ooh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally. But yeah, no. So the first moments is how do I get up? But then, um, but when I do get up, I just feel the feelings of, wow, this is. What are you fighting for in this life? I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for life itself which I think there's so much in our life. Yeah, you could say truth, goodness, and beauty in life, right? Yeah, well, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it, but I will argue that's life itself because mm. I think there's so much around us today which takes that away. And I, I would argue that's that's um, a killer of life, a yeah, killer of... 100%. How does your routine differ from Kristen's? Is it hard to be her housemate? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, my routine differs... I feel like I'm a little bit more routined. Yeah. But I think I just know what I'm going to be doing for the week a little bit more naturally. I mean, I know Kristen has to do it for work. If it weren't for YouTube, I wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I have to know a little bit more, but be prepared a little bit. So I know there's going to be a party at the end of the week. Okay. I have to be in my head. I I would be thinking, oh, when am I going to get the present for that person or how or what am I going to wear? I do think of, you know, those things. You think of what are you going to (laughs) wear? Oh, interesting. Well, if it's a dress up party, I'll also think of that. Mm, Yeah. Uh, And I mean, I think, yeah. Mm, both of our work both the, the, the fact that we both have jobs means that we have to stay on top of our routine and have a routine mm. but I would I would dare to say that if we didn't have jobs our lives would look quite different quite unroutined both of us because mm. every single day we're waking up at different times we're eating at different times I think the biggest difference between your life and my life is that even if our both our lives had no goals I would try and find a lot of things to do. Otherwise, I would go crazy. Mm. So I'd find a lot of goals in hobbies or passions or I'd make my own. I I think I'd probably be the same. Really? Maybe our reasons okay. for doing – yeah, because I would, I would need to do – you saw me during lockdown, mm. how, up, how like down I got. Yeah. Because I didn't have things to do. I didn't have worlds to explore. I think, yeah, in that situation though, I think you would – 
you would feel down first and then because you're feeling down would then oh i see then as a reaction would go and find things to do mm. as a way to compensate but i would already know beforehand that i would feel down and to mm. me be given okay this is lockdown period let's go and put two and three hobbies in my belt and start doing it you know just fill my time that's so true because during lockdown i was like oh i feel okay now i'll i'll lounge around yeah I'll you would take it as it comes i'll have fun yeah and then when i did finally start to feel down i was like now i need to change yeah exactly and that rings true because you and i have the same functions just in different order so yeah absolutely. what's hitting first is different and i always have a conscious list of things to do in the back of my mind whether it gets done next week or next year it's always there mm. so if i find some time that's outside of work that's just any reason if I feel like doing it that's a reason for me to go do things I think Mm. Um, well case in point since we moved house Marie got her room in order pretty quickly and mine still isn't in order like there's there's just utter chaos in my room still I still have my car is still acting as a suitcase right now for the stuff that doesn't fit in my room so the back of my car is just the stuff I haven't moved or found mm, a place yet that's right. for. Yeah. And I've been flitting around like I was two weeks at my parents. I'm like, yeah. So, and that for me is fine because mm. it's not getting me down at the moment. I can, I can live in that sensory chaos for ages. I think if that was the case, I would, if I had free time and nothing to do, I would go in and fix your room. <laughs> you tried last night. You're like, I, I could do this for you. I was like, nope. <laughs> Because like we're both choleric and I, I walked in and control. I was like, "What's in? What is a good? Because your um, cupboard is falling to pieces. Mm-hmm. So I'm already thinking has fallen to pieces. Has fallen. Yeah, yeah it collapsed the other day because I got some like cheap. It wasn't too cheap actually. It was about ninety dollars rack. Gosh. And it like collapsed the other day just because I think I have so many clothes. Yeah. So. And I was like, well, that sucks. And so I just picked up what I could and lent it against the wall and it's been like that for over a week now mm. and I'm see okay I could not it. do with that yeah and I know because every time to. you walk in I see your eyes and I see your like your your brain lights up with ideas of how you could fix it <laughs> yeah that's right so absolutely yeah I think I think I can live for longer in that sensory chaos yeah absolutely. but I mean maybe you could but as you said I do it until I feel down whereas you do it because you know you'll feel down later mm. yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm. And the second part of that question, is it hard to be her housemate? Mm, good question, Kristen. How do you feel? <laughs> this is Just your interview. Excuse you. <laughs> yeah. um, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. I think maybe, well, that sounds like it's coming from a stereotype of ENTJs and I can understand why the question's asked, but, and maybe because I also have a lot of um, family members who are feelers. So I've learned how to um, live with them. But Surely the fact that I'm a feeler wouldn't be the hardest thing about living with me. It would be the chaos. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. You're sorry. An EP. Let's mm. put it more that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The chaos. I think. Yeah. For me, what would be harder if we didn't have good communication, but because we have great communication and we're close friends, mm. it's very, I feel very comfortable because I can then, if you're, did something that was problematic or I did struggle with, I can, I feel it's easy for me to say it to you. Mm. And um, it, it hasn't happened that many times, but it mm. has happened sometimes. And I think because I use extroverted sensing, so it's not real, it's, I'm not really attached to how my sensory world is. Yeah, all. that's I right. It doesn't personally <laughs> affect me I'm when you critique. Yeah. <laughs> the teapot. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That one wasn't even my fault technically, but I took the no. ball for it. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That was, that was, I, 
accidentally well, broke Marie's teapot. A very valuable. It wasn't one. just you; it was a few people. But yeah, that was um, that was hard. That was a good moment to, for me to introspect and be like, I need to be like, how am I living? How did this happen? Mm. Like why? Like I clearly need to reassess my the way that I approach my housemates' stuff. I should have been more careful in that moment. What is it that makes me treat subconsciously treat people's stuff like it doesn't it isn't valuable? Yeah, and that was a good one for me as well because that gave me a lot of lessons and I think I appreciated that in of itself. Just, you know, of course in the initial instance I did think, oh, crumbs, it's you know, a teapot that I loved. Mm. But then at the same time I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to be detached and Goodness knows I need to cull stuff anyways. Um, and I've said that to myself. And also just um, it is humbling to see how, you know, you you also were quite, you know, you were self-aware and you knew that was how you were. You didn't intentionally break the teapot. There's no malice involved and you were really like sorry about that too. And so I think that to me was just very humbling in and of itself. And so it didn't really matter at all, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. And I think we grew closer for that. So. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think opportunities like that, I always, yeah, it might hurt in the instant, but like I think hurting in the instant is always worth it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was awesome because it was a moment where I'd made a mistake, um, but then you were so you really extended grace and chose to see me and my heart and my intentions. And like, then you were so quick to forgive me. Like you needed to take your moment to feel your feelings, but then you forgave me. And I'm like, this is just, this mm. is, this is the dream. Like, it's so <laughs> nice to live with someone who's also striving to be like the best version of themselves. And yeah. And I think ultimately that's like an end goal. So if that's an end goal of mine, then all the little things don't really matter. Your chaos don't matter. And actually in, it's, it's like you say, you can see, there's always two sides to one coin and you can choose which side you want to see. So mm. every side, every coin is a good coin if you choose the right side, you know. Ooh. It's always for your benefit. Of course you bring in some analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Classic end thinker. Yes, I, I love know. it. Look at me using humor as a defense mechanism because we got deep and vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Love it. Love you. Uh, what terrifies you about yourself? Ooh. Spicy question. Nothing. Ooh. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, I'm Living up to that stereotype. <laughs> I'm scared of nothing. What, surprise, what terrifies me about myself? Uh, I think that I can in some ways know my potentiality. and Or at least I can idealize it or think I know it. And so what then terrifies me is that if I do try and go without constantly you know discerning and taking time because I know how I can just go like a steam train that I might go too far and lose myself and so one thing as a example is I have been um, when I was at university tossing between different career choices and the thing that came up a lot was politics and law naturally and a lot of people said to me, oh, you'll be a great lawyer. You'll be a great politician, you know, um, got offered a lot of things on a few things on silver platters, which were very tempting to take. And I think I, at the time I was scared, I had an intuition that if I took them, I would probably good at that, be good at that, but not great at developing who I am as a person. Or maybe let's put it this way. I wouldn't 
I probably needed a bit more self interior self development than exterior skill development or career development. So, yeah, I remember you spoke very vaguely there, but I remember specifically talking when you needed to make a career choice, and you were talking about becoming a doctor or a lawyer. And mm. you know, you you do have so much potential. And I told you, you can be literally whatever you want to be. You put your mind to it, and you'll do it because I know your potential. And then you were like, it'd be cool to be a lawyer. And then we were talking about just how, like, no shade to lawyers, but like mm. the temptation to just become a terrible person, which like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I can see that in myself. Yeah. Because if the end goal is to get this case done or to work on this, you know, or and to fight winning for or a, succeeding. Law. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or for the sake of money or prestige or whatever. I can see I have the ability to potentially step over people if I switch off that emotional part about me, which is could be easy to. Yeah, and that's not that's no shade to lawyers. Obviously, you can be a good person and a lawyer, mm. uh, but to each their own in terms of what's tempting and like you mm. know knowing your potential for good and evil and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think at that time it was right for you to pursue something that was going to be a more guaranteed avenue of, I guess virtue yeah sorry i did want to nuance that really (laughs) huge (laughs) absolutely that's big what do you think (laughs) well i think i think i was afraid that law would be a dangerous path because i might have been wanting to do it for the wrong reasons and that could have been because of potential success and ambition and skill and and prestige and money uh well not necessarily money I think prestige and success is a big one for me so knowing that but also law isn't a particular is not one of my greatest passions so um if I wasn't doing something I was particularly passionate about I could just go the easy route every single time and not fight the battles how do you know when you like someone romantically interesting (laughs) Is that a, I don't want to answer. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Actually. No, I can't answer this. I can. I think it's because I I don't know the answer yet properly. You're like, it's more nuanced than that. It looks different every time. Mm, I was going to say, it does look different every time. I don't often know that I like someone until a lot later. As in, sorry, I don't often recognize that I like them until I well and truly like them. Yeah. Um, Takes a while for that FI mm, to catch up. But if the the older I grow, I do recognize things. Like I, I have a lot of respect for that person. I think that's a big one. I trust them. Oh, trust is big. If I trust that person, because it's often, it's harder for me to trust people. Ooh, the ENTJ trust. It's <laughs> like, it's like a trophy. Yeah, absolutely. So. When you realize you've got it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so... Not that I consider your trust a trophy. That's probably a bad analogy. I think that said a lot about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like that choleric, like yeah. everything's just a competition. <laughs> no, we love our competition. Yeah, we do. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that if I respect... I know first and foremost, I really respect that person and then I start to trust that person. Um, I know that naturally my feelings will start to follow. Mm. Yeah, what about when someone breaks your trust? Depends on how the trust was given and how he broke it. 
if I if he if I was attached to something which I thought was trust, that's not trust. And then I have that's a big. It would obviously hurt, but I have learnt. You know, it's not always been that person. It's myself. But if that person broke my trust because they, I don't know, acted against their nature, well, there's to part of me. There's a bit of disappointment in myself that I didn't sort of foresee that. Um, acted against their nature. That's yeah, because so, so if I, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't just trust anyone. I think I get, I get to know people, and they have to, you know, you build trust over time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so for me, if I trust someone, like there's something about that person that I trust usually. Not I trust the full person, but there's always something. You know, okay. I, sorry, this is very vague. I know, but like to give an example, I meet someone for the first time. Um, and you know, I could potentially read their personality or there's a few things I intuit about them. You know, we vibe or get deep on a particular topic or we bond because we're doing something together or something of the sort, um, and go through a life experience. There's an element of small things about them. They start as a blank slate, but there's small things about them that I recognize and start to trust them on, you know, and it could be something particularly to their personality or it could be something to do with their character or virtue or or their relationship with me and how they see me, right? And so then I start to trust them, or it could be the intelligence, etc. right? Um, so hypothetically speaking, you know, I meet someone and this person happens to have a very brilliant mind and then I recognise that and I can say, oh, I trust in their thought process. I would test it a few times because brilliant mind doesn't necessarily mean the way I think or, you know, that sort of thing. And then and I trust, okay, them to think in a particular way. And so if we were to ever to get into a debate later, I would trust that they would see things in their their particular way. But if they suddenly changed mind or happened to be bipolar and I didn't know that, that might be a little bit of a case of, ooh, ouch. And then I would go, but why? And is that me? Did I completely misread the person? Or is this person uh, different and something about them, like something like bipolar? I'm not sure if I could pick it up or anything of that sort. So... Yeah, so... Yeah, I have noticed your trust. You've taught me a lot about trust and I've noticed that your trust reaches so deeply and it's based on things that I would never have thought. I think growing up, I thought trust... I tended to think trust was based on more accidental things. And I think examples of this is I know for a fact I've done things. A classic example, there have been moments when Marie... Like I've needed to say sorry to Marie for, because this is something that's happened quite a few times. Marie's told me something either in confidence or something that was in confidence, but she didn't tell me it was confidence because it was just, she just sort of thought it was understood that it was in confidence. Mm. And then I would, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a vice that I've had, like kind of forgetting. Well, you just forgot. I just you... forgot. And then I've blurted out yeah, something, yeah. something's come up in a, in a public space. Mm. I don't want to say like it's an ESFP tendency, but I know for a fact it, it is probably one of the downsides sorry, the vices that ESFPs would be prone to Mm. is just blurting out things without thinking or maybe they didn't do the math that this was more confidential or more private or whatever. And they've said something and then maybe they're like, oh, I didn't know. And then maybe you'll you'll look at me or you'll say something and I'm like, oh my gosh. And like, I honestly didn't know. Or maybe I did know and I'll say, I'm so sorry. And in my head, I'm like, that surely means I've lost Marie's trust a little bit. But then I realize when we talk about it that I actually haven't lost your trust. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So in that particular, using that example, I think if I hadn't known you so well and I 
did share something deep because I made a judgment in thinking you would be very good at sharing it. So you'll be very good at um, <laughs> if <laughs> I made wrong. it opposite. <laughs> if, I, if you're very good at hiding it, not hiding, sorry, keeping it to yourself or not very good. I mean, you just wouldn't, no opportunity would come to share it or you wouldn't see the need to or you'd stop yourself in time. Mm. Then, and and you did share it. I would then probably be, it would hurt, but I would then be more upset about myself for misjudging that of you. Um, but as I get to know you, know your personality, you know, I do share things with you because I love you and we're close. And then you do share things and I sometimes forget that, you know, but, but then when you do do that in the moment, I'm like, oh, I forgot that's the personality. But like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that I will stop sharing or anything. That being um, said, I definitely have the capability it's kind of like when a switch flicks when someone says this is really important or I can read if I have a memory of you being really vulnerable sharing something with me and you mm. were maybe crying and something was really hard for you to share yeah. intuitively I will absolutely know and respect exactly and, and I res- and I know that of you yeah so. and I'm not it's just more like information that's been shared that like maybe I didn't remember who gave me that information exactly or, or I probably didn't put a you know I might have said something and it have come across to you as light information but to me it was a bit more yeah, serious bit and I didn't convey that so in that case then I know I know what your parameters are and I know how you would never intentionally do that so then I would go oh I probably should have said that quite clearly and then that's just a case of you know obviously emotionally I would probably been hurt in the moment but I I don't blame you for it Mm. but that just in a case of taking your side and just like okay that that obviously was private but you didn't know so Mm. let's um talk about it and and you're you're often very I think that's the case as well. You're very emotionally um, humble and emotionally aware as well. So when you realise that, you you know, you easily say, oh, look, I didn't realise that, you know, and mm. it's very easy for us to move Yeah, on. and I love those. I really yeah. value those moments because I can take data away from that being like, oh, I remember what that felt like to know I momentarily yeah. lapsed in that judgment and yeah, that really, right. it really sucked to feel that and I need to make sure that I employ measures to make yeah, sure that doesn't right. keep happening. Yeah. But I think we, as ENTJs, and I do fit, maybe this is where the stereotype does come in a bit, we do take, we're not easy trusters, not like any other, like some types are. We don't trust easily, so. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but your trust is deep. And everyone's trust can be deep, of course. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and I've been hurt. Like, I've trusted some people really, really deeply, and I've been mm, very, very hurt by yeah, it. Yeah, that's for, for sure. sure. I think, yeah, as ENTJs, your capacity for depth in, like, everything is so real. Like it's so real. You guys go so deep. Next question. After that, I feel like people were privy to like friendship. Like yeah, like our friendship counseling here. This is our friendship on air. air. Exactly. What would you do if everyone else in the world was either an ISFP, INFP, or ISFJ? Oh. Why those three? I know. I want to unpack why this person chose. INFJ and... No. Sorry, I missed that. Ooh, let's unpack why you said INFJ. No, ISFP, INFP, ISFJ. and ISFJ. Loaded question. I wanted to see how you would respond. I think... Is that mean... Are they um, stereotypes of non-doers, perhaps? Um, Well, yeah. ISFI doms have... Um, yeah, yeah. Bottom and TE. introverts, all of them. Yeah, I think it's like okay, these are stereotypically like introverted, more sen- stereotypically introverted, more sensitive types. You know, ISFJs and SFJ, and I think this person was yeah, 
Mm, okay. Playing into a stereotype here. Well, the stereotype that ENTJs <laughs> would really struggle. Nothing will get done. <laughs> <laughs> but if the world was full of these types, maybe they wouldn't value things getting done. But things would need to get done. No, you know what? Say I was the only ENTJ on the planet and the rest of the world is oh, all of these gosh, types. Your head would explode. I would just sit on a chair and watch everyone else live their lives. Sorry, what I meant by head would explode, I mean your head would grow so big. Is what I mean. <laughs> you wouldn't be frustrated. You'd, your ego would inflate. Absolutely. Like, I will be like, all right, you guys live your lives and see what happens. It'd kind of be cool no. because in not having TE doms around, mm. these types would would be encouraged to step up to get stuff done and they might feel competent then. Or they would do it in their own way. Yeah. Very confident. Oh my gosh, a world full of FI doms. It'd just be like flowers and like multicolored hair dye. and like. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to talk about stereotypes, they also do say our current world is is a very TE society because we're a consumerist society and we're very goal-oriented outcomes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean. We feel for you, FI doms and ISFJs. Not sure why ISFJ was tacked onto this one, but <laughs> I do also want to say though, talking about stereotypes, well, I don't think this is probably one of my theories, but mm. ooh. ooh. Anyway, I'll just say it. <laughs> but I do think that sometimes we do also live in a society where we have a very strong F F I language or F language compared mm. to T. Um and that's maybe me talking a bit as a hmm, I don't know. I'll have to think a bit more about that one. I mean the people taking up the social media space are using F language because social media space naturally attracts those kinds of types. Yeah. The Fs are the ones who want to use. And we do live in a world of opinions a lot more now where opinions dominate um, and can get confused as facts. Mm. I know that's a controversial statement, but I do think that's the case. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, So... Opinions is relative and opinions is very much, you you know, there's a big, there's a lot of authority is validated by this was my experience. This is my experience. And yeah, definitely do not say that experience is um, not a bad thing. Experience is a very good thing. I treasure experience. But um, that's very much probably the only way we do sometimes say things. Or we theorize, but without applying experience because we're reacting to such an Oh, because we're publishing a TikTok video. (laughs) That's right, exactly. So, yeah, but anyways. Now that you've verbalised a theory, I hope you know it's on my podcast, so I own that theory and all rights to it. I might do law after all. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) What do you value most about your knowledge of MBTI and how has it improved your life practically? I think one thing it's improved my life is how I relate to people I don't understand or how I can communicate and translate so that they can understand. Um, and it's been helpful in many, many ways, especially in leadership positions or if I was teaching, you know, you've got a student who doesn't know how to do this particular math problem rather than knowing, okay, they're this particular type, I can retranslate for them and, you know, um, so that's probably been helpful. I think it has helped me as well in terms of knowing myself in relation to others, especially healing with wounds, growing up as an adult, going through, you know, ups and downs. So knowing that 
oh, I have TE dominant and not a lot of other people have TE dominant. So the way I think and say things is not necessarily a bad thing in this particular way because that's how a TE would think. But then this is where it could be hurtful because that's how others who aren't TEs could interpret la-da-da, you know. So, yeah. That was a succinct answer. Thank you. Love it. How quickly are you able to judge someone's personality type compared to other people? Ooh, you mean MBTI personality type? I assume so, yeah. Uh, quick to judge. That's yeah, I think maybe it could... I this, this question could be interpreted two ways. The first being, how quickly can you read someone's Myers-Briggs type? Yeah, And yeah, the second yeah. being, how that. quick are you to judge people? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you take out of it? Okay. It could be. Well... I, I took it as the first. How do you read yeah, them? Like, how do too. you, yeah, what type, how do you type them, basically? Well, how quickly are you to type yeah. them? Yeah. Um. Well, I, I mean, you're the METI guru, so I feel Marie like gets you're a lot wrong. better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also gets it right. <laughs> we do have We've had battles. debates. <laughs> we yeah, do, we've had we debates. And I've, I've been wrong as well. Yeah, and so have I. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm always analysing. So MBTI is just a system which helps me to understand people more. So when I meet people, I don't often think immediately, oh, they're that type and then let it be. I often go, they could be that type, but they also could be that type. And then I pose my theories. Okay, I think they're that type, but I'm not always really mm. um, attached to it. And I'm very happy for it to be changed. I actually want it to be challenged because I don't have enough evidence to mm. prove it. So oh, it's a hard question. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, And the second half of that question that I posed, how quick are you to judge people? Moving on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As a female ENTJ, I'd like to hear more about her experience being an NT woman. Mm. Yeah, in my experience, interesting. Such a big question. You and I have talked about this so much. Oh, yeah. This is like a lot of different topics. I think one topic that comes to mind is relationships. I've often found it easier to relate to guys. I think what took time for me to accept was the fact that it's, you know, there are parts of my interior life that is very feminine and to be able to use a language. Because when when females get together and chat about things that we used to chat about in high school, boys or, you know, little cutesy stuff, I did often struggle with that. That's not my usual way of relating I was a bit of a tomboy as well but that that may not be an NT thing that could be for other reasons but um I think I found it very easy to talk to guys because they're also very well this is very broad and generic I know of course there are lots of different guys with different personality types you know who are different but just in general especially in high school a lot of the boys tend to come across quite simple in their way of talking quite direct and quite frank and that gave me freedom to feel very frank. So I often connected with them. Um, I personally love doing a lot of outdoor sports. So a lot of the camaraderie I felt, and because I'm a broad thinker and I like to think about structures, big universal structures. So the concept of teamwork is a big thing for me. And so naturally I think um, males in sports do kind of actualize that a bit in a particular way. But then growing up and into an adulthood, I naturally have friendships with all types. But I did, I think, many times struggle with insecurities of uh, I'm not very feminine enough. 
or um, I think too much like a man, especially when stereotypes go out about the way men think or the way women think, right? Um, Was this before or after our conversation last night? (laughs) (laughs) We were chatting about that. Oh, this is, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This is definitely before our conversation has been for Mm. many years. Um, Yeah, and so I I love that I do live in the modern age where, women there's a respect for women in different facets and areas so I think that gives me a lot you know I could be a very feminine woman but still be able to do what I want to do and think the way I think um I am quite intellectual in the way I think and I think that sometimes finds it easy for me to relate to certain types of people especially males particular types of males but then I do find that in doing so they're not the types that I often want to that I'm often attracted to per se or want to have fun with I think also being growing up with a lot of other young women when we're talking about boys just just as a generic but that's what my context was as well I think our language tends to fall under very similar styles which is very feeler language um and I would probably adopt a lot of the feeler language to connect for the purpose of connecting but my comfort zone is just my blunt TE self and obviously just with a lot of depth as well to certain times and have a lot of great fun and just humour and laughter. So, yeah, so I think I did struggle naturally with certain types of friendships um, at times. So I learned to adopt how to speak in a very feely way and made friendships with certain people based on that language. But then I realised through time that I'm – I didn't really – connect in that way or I didn't feel a sense of trust or solidarity with those female friendships um, just because I wasn't allowed to be or I didn't allow myself to be my TE dominant self. Yeah and it's so funny because you know there's all these stereotypes that make this question that are the reason why this question is being asked in the first place you know those TE stereotypes Mm. Um, but I think of you as like honestly one of the most gentle and loving and I think you're super feminine mm. women like in my life yeah and I think I've really seen you grow into comfort in your personality the more comfortable you've been with those natural qualities that you have mm. the more gentle you've become and the more your virtue has shine shone through and, and the big thing I've sort of found out quite recently and I think I told you this the other day based on my interactions with two TE dominant people is that when I am around people that allow me to be myself which is TE dominant and I secondary etc um, I do end up being more naturally feminine and gentle and warm because I'm truly more myself. I'm more in touch with who I am and I love myself more. So naturally that comes out. Um, but, and I think there's been periods in my life I just didn't realise I needed to be around those types of people to mm. help nurture that and allow myself to be okay in that. To the person asking this question, just know you can be a TE dom and embrace that and still be feminine. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. I think there's a different, there's a strength to TE dominant women Mm -hmm. that is very different and is not seen by stereotypes of femininity sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's very exciting when you figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. What are you looking for in a romantic partner? A partner in crime, I think. Very much. But also someone who really, a partner in crime in, yeah, partner in crime in every way. Maybe... Things that I do in life, goals, but more to do with like my big goal, which is to live life happily and to 
to constantly grow. So if that person's on the same page with me about wanting to grow and challenging me and being okay with challenging as well. Your partner in crime, is this when you become a lawyer? Because that might be an issue. (laughs) No, but that's why I said it has to be goals about growth, not necessarily exterior goals. I classically took that literally. Oh, I might have said something. That's No, no, no. I didn't take it literally, obviously. (laughs) Like that's a phrase. It's a saying. Yeah. Partner in crime. It's a good one. Partner in crime. Someone who's passionate. (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Yeah. But also like, I don't know. That's such, I don't know if any of us know that really, what we're looking for. Yeah, Except exactly. when it comes. And I don't have a, like, a, yeah, I don't have, I don't know. I don't know what my type is. Yeah. So I yeah. found I've. You're yeah, so open and you see such potentiality in so many people, people so. that it's kind of hard. Mm. Next question. Kind of relevant. Can ENFJs and ENTJs work in a relationship in your opinion? Yes, if they're both healthy. Absolutely. Love that answer. Yeah. I think there definitely would be struggles. Yeah. I think I've noticed because I have a few close ENFJs, my certain family members and friends. But I think because we both um, have that NI dominant Janus, so as to speak, we both could be quite easily think that we our ways best, or we both have sort of controlling natures that we want to control each other. But I think that would be good as well. If we're both very healthy, then we would know that's a good opportunity to let go. And to realize that your ways aren't not always good. And I think NFJs, like I've intuit and ENFJs really well. I tend to read them without having to say a lot of words. So having that vibe connection. And I think that's the same thing for them. The FE wouldn't bother you? I'm being um, facetious. <laughs> yes and no, but again, it's how you take it, really. Um, yeah, sure, but it. Depends on who the ENFJ is. Hundred percent. We could how sit it manifests, here. You know, like we could sit here and list all sixteen of the types, and you could say how what struggles you would and wouldn't have. Just yeah, based that's on right. That. Each, exactly. each pairing is going to have struggles. Yeah, that's right. It's all about Absolutely. how willing you are. Yeah. With how willing you are to love the other, work on yourself, mm. self-sacrifice, and all that jazz. Do 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 do. Chris has to put a song in because it's too serious and deep. <laughs> No, if not enough. I am engaging well. <laughs> yeah, you are absolutely. I just was gonna say in all that jazz, and I was like, why not sing it? <laughs> Couldn't resist. Do you find that having blind spot SI makes accomplishing things in your life more difficult? Ooh, yes. Ooh, but let's unpack that. <laughs> yes, when I was a lot younger, and especially because I, you know, when you're younger, you're often very much led by your passions or what you thought was right, or what I thought was right. Um, SI has, what I love about SI and, and especially SI personality types is they have this blind, sorry, not blind, I should say, but this dogged determined loyalty to discipline and structure, which if I did have a bit more in my life would really help me to achieve some of the goals that I do idealize about. So I do sometimes you know, really wish, oh, I wish I did have a bit of an SI. But saying that though, if I had SI, I wouldn't, I have an SE way of going about things and accomplishing my goals. So then again, that's probably saying, you know, I wish I had something that I, if I had SI, I obviously wouldn't have SE. So yeah. Yeah, legit. Mm. I do really love my SE, just saying. I love it too. Of course you do. Related, do you forget details easily? Ooh, yes, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. 
especially when I don't think they're important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The amount of times it's been like, Kristen, you know, this thing happened. And I'm like, I know, you've told me that on three <laughs> separate occasions. <laughs> but I don't forget details that I do think are very important sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. been impressed with your ability to remember some things. It's like a selective one that you mm, have used to make a particular pattern, form an NI pattern. Yeah. 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 And some of the some of the details you choose to pick up on are very strange to me. Yeah. Why did, why was that the thing you noticed? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. This question was like slightly triggering, but is fun to talk about. How to tell apart an ENTJ from an organized ENTP? I'm hoping this person asked this in like a tongue in cheek sort of way. Ooh, because obviously I find that fascinating. That's well, interesting. What do you mean by? Well, there's. There are huge differences. Mm. It's The implication in this question is that the only difference is that ENTPs aren't organized usually. So when they are organized, wouldn't they appear the same? Oh, absolutely not. They have all four different cognitive functions. Thank you to this person for this question submission, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> well, just let's unpack that a little. Just hypothetically, if you saw a dis, an organized ENTP, yeah. how would their organization manifest? Like what are well, some... given that they use SI. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. They would probably take value in things like routine. Well, see, this is the thing. Is I think they could look like on the outside, maybe, to a certain point. But again, it depends on the ENTJ and how they organise their life. I would say I do know organised ENTPs. And in my opinion, it's almost like they could not be more different. Hmm. Because there's this EP openness that you can't take away from ENTPs. Yeah. But and just on a merely accidental point, I'm talking. Yeah. I mean, on an accidental point, that's how they that's how they present. ENTPs are just open, open to spontaneity. They're not attached to ideas and exploring them the way that ENTJs do have attachments to their ideas. Mm. They yep. can't, you can't change that. Yeah. I think I'm assuming that when um, whoever asked this question, organized meaning... They tap into their SI to deliver certain, yeah, like say went swimming every day to get healthy. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. how it would look. It would look different, like because ENTPs are never going to exhibit the same organization in their visions the way that ENTJs have. Yeah, I think you're organized in very different ways when you're organized. Yeah, but you can make a case saying the accidentals could look the same. But yeah, it will come across different because of yeah. the goal is always different. Yeah, always that's right. But maybe if an ENTP is going swimming every day at 8 a.m. versus when an ENTJ is going swimming every day at 8 a.m., the it, motivations behind that are completely exactly, different. And right. an ENTP would probably yeah. find fulfillment. The fulfillment would stop and energy and joy, like whatever it is they're seeking would stop with just the fact that they're doing it every day, mm. the routine of the daily. Whereas... For you, it would have to be building towards some kind of long-term goal. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And of course, that could all be nuanced. Mm, this is right. just us playing with ideas. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're also trying to understand. In an attached way, because we don't use any. <laughs> yeah. But also, I'm trying to understand what the um, questioner means by organized ENTP. Because is, does it mean a healthy ENTP or does it mean an ENTP who taps into his SI organizational skills but I, I don't look at ENTPs and... Well, this could be... It, we don't know much about the questioner, but this could be on the stereotype that the JP difference means organisation, which... 
Oh, okay. On a very surface level is how a lot of people do understand the JP difference. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember I made a skit about, I've made a couple, I've mentioned it in a couple of skits where I sort of, you know, there's a bit of satire and I have like a character say, as an ENTJ, I'm just the more organized version of you to mm. an ENTP, right? Because I'm making fun of that JP mm. misunderstanding of that letter. Yeah. So it could be a facetious question based on that or... Mm. a misunderstanding of the system yeah you see what i mean yeah but i appreciate your question questioner and <laughs> encourage way, you to keep asking questions <laughs> no it's interesting love it yeah for sure what areas do you have to stretch and grow in being aware of my feelings is a big one or let's nuance that classic <laughs> when i do feel about things being true to how i feel but not necessarily because when I am true to my, how I feel, sometimes I can act irrationally on those feelings. Surprise, surprise, T dominant. But yes, so learning how to then, you know, order my feelings in a right way where it's I'm still very aware of them, but not to make irrational judgments based on them. And just to explain that, I've noticed when I and this might be an ETJ thing or it might be some just a me thing. But when I have deep, deep feelings about a particular thing and um, it really affects me and when it hits, sometimes my top functions can switch off a little bit or I'm a little bit blinded because the FI does come up and overwhelm the rest of the functions. And so then if I make a judgment based on how I'm feeling, when it's that type of feeling, a very deep, strong feeling and my top functions switch off, then I can make ira- like rash judgments. And I have done so. So, um, yeah, just learning how to be aware and order them. I think there is very much a stereotype because FI is on the bottom that we need to grow by just being aware. But I think we can't stop being ENTJs when mm. we're feeling, you know, we can't suddenly turn into an FI dominant person. Yeah, just you because. can't suddenly notice That's the emotions right. all the time when they hit. Exactly. Fine. So I think it's about doing it in an ENTJ way and the end goal is about doing the right thing but also making sure you're doing it healthily mm. so that your FI is naturally nurtured and not stunted and smashed down. Yeah, love yeah. that. Good answer. We've got a big one. Go for Question it. number 25. Oh, 25. Yeah. Have we passed the time limit? Uh, we've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. So we'll probably get th- we probably won't get through them all. Cause, yep. Yeah. Thoughts on the trolley problem? Ooh, remind me. I'm just forgetting. So you're on a cart. Oh, that's right. You're on a cart. You can see that you're about to run into five people who are strapped down to the trolley on the railway in front of you. You have an option to flick a switch that changes the course of the trolley. But in doing so, you will run over one person on a separate railroad. Mm. Do you flick the switch and therefore be personally responsible for the death of the one or do you let fate take its course without your personal decision or hand in it and let the trolley roll over the five yeah the problem with these problems as theories is that they they offer explanations to certain ethical scenarios but they don't and the and they offer it in a universal way in a theoretical way but you do have to take in every single every single element of a scenario, you know. For example, um, 
is it totally on me? Is it my responsibility to flick the switch? Um, or I don't have that role. That could be a slight nuance difference that could change the ethics in that scenario. So Yeah, like are you the person who actually started up the train? Are you the driver? Exactly. Or yeah. um Are you just a bystander? Yeah. Are you the only one who knows about it? And and the why switch? are you making a decision to flick the switch? Do you have full knowledge that it's definitely going to um, you know, smash down on these five people on the road? Or you don't know. I think my the safest answer, again, it's really difficult, but the safest answer is I don't have the power over life and death. And so every human life is important, every single human life. So I don't have a decision. And life is about quality, not quantity, you know. Of course, five people, people will say, is, you know, more quality than one person. But then that's also making judgment on that one person's life and saying, well, you have less quality than these other five people. So... I'm a big believer on letting things take their natural course of action and just pray and hope that there's a glitch in the system or something, mm, you know, the best mm. you can. Oh, I love it. So I actually got an answer. Yeah. I Yeah, so many questions about that scenario in general. Like who who is it that gave you that ultimatum? How do you know that the switch is going to yeah, flick? Are you the one who designed exactly, the train or right. have you just been told by someone this and this is the choice you have in which case there's an unjust aggressor in the situation so that changes right. things. and also like how much how how much do you power do you have in flicking the switch or like flicking the switch is that actually going to change the course of action as much you know and then, i mean yeah yeah I'm reading a lot into it but yes yeah so it's maybe a safe answer but i'm still yeah i'm just going to say that very clearly i don't have a very clear I think that's a that's a debate that's been going on for ages and it really depends on the scenario. So how does FI feel when you use it? Uh depends on why I'm using it. So if I do feel FI when I'm doing things daily, little things, but it is it does just it's like it's not the most it's not like I suddenly am using TE and I suddenly switch it off and turn on FI. Sometimes that happens when the FI is very deep and it's very overwhelming. Uh, like, say, for example, going through a heartbreak, you know, or something happened that I need time to grieve. Then that's a situation where, you know, it's there's a lot of unanswered questions maybe that would come to mind. But but even having the fact I'm having questions is still a TE thing, right? I'm still, sorry, it's, a two, still, it's still a an NI thing. thing. Yeah. It's a human thing, right? <laughs> but I would ask it in within an NI way mm. but and when I'm also doing little daily tasks and I still have emotions about certain smaller things like I have feelings towards whether that should be right or wrong or if especially if it's an ethical moral decision um so sorry what was the question how does it come up how does FI feel when you use it oh how does it feel kind of lots of ways to interpret this. yeah absolutely um I'm gonna give some examples if um I'm just doing things day to day like my work the reason I'm goal oriented and the reason why I'm doing these little things is because I'm passionate towards my goal and passion in of itself evokes an FI response right it's so I if I didn't have FI full stop hypothetically speaking say I had only three cognitive functions the three top ones if I didn't exist in the MTI world I wouldn't have a reason or a connectivity to that goal which I would be having that FI kind of provides that I think it's easy to say, well, the NI does, the pattern does. But yes, I think we the pattern exists, but we do have to make a judgment on the pattern. And I could do it logically, accepting, okay, 
this is where the end goal is. But I logic, I also have emotions to that. I have a relationality to that pattern. I want that pattern to be there. So the FIs manifest in a very subtle way, I guess you can argue. But then little things like, you know, someone hurt me, said a word and that offended me or something. Well, then I feel it. I do know that's offended me, but I can very quickly, like again, T and FI works very closely together. And so I can very easily recognize, oh, what is that? You know, Um, unless it was something deeper emotional, that's something I needed to go away and, and, you know, feel that. Then when that's the case, and I think I've alluded that to before, I need to switch off and I need to just sit in my feelings for a while. Um, yeah, and a, and a, just a quicker reminder of like to recognize that FI is only FI as opposed to FE because it is it is noticing a autonomous personal emotional response to things, uh, emotions that you're using to judge things, your decisions, your relationships that's detached from the group as opposed to FE, which would notice group dynamics uh, and would, would cite the, the group first to make its decisions. Mm. So when Marie says she sometimes needs to remove herself from situations and groups, that's a very FI thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You do it far less frequently than, than say I would. Mm. Um, though I don't really do that as much though. I have actually recently done it. Yeah. That's something. Cause FI for me, it's more high in my stack. So it would hit in a more intense way and it would be harder for me to ignore, which is why I would more frequently have to remove myself from situations. I think a lot a stereotype with ENTJs is that they feel less in general, like they they feel less because they have bottom FI, but that's not the case. It's just about what they're noticing. Their feelings can be just as intense, mm. you know, as any other person when they feel it. It's just what they're noticing first. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the important thing to know about cognitive function stacks. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, an ENTJ can walk around feeling a lot all yeah. the time. Yeah. But they are also very much thinking. Their the feeling kind of just supports their thinking. Maybe let's put it that way. Mm. You know. But they can be very emotionally rich. I've learned with you, you are a very emotionally rich person. And mm. same with the other ENTJs I know in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And if they have a deep emotional attachment to something, it's so beautiful when they talk about it. Like, mm. honestly, in such like a romantic way. <laughs> that fi don't lie yep we know where we get our romance novels from <laughs> ourselves <laughs> well so we're we've been recording for a while now so we'll probably just do a few more questions mm-hmm. in what ways do you see yourself as the protagonist i don't really know what this question means but i thought it was interesting yeah it is an interesting question in what context antagonist protagonist to who <laughs> Gosh, that's hard. Um, do you walk around life being like, I am the main character? You do not give main character energy at all. Hmm. That's not because you're not, not to say that you're not worthy Can of you being a main character. Can you read the question again? In what ways do you see yourself as the protagonist? See yourself. See, that's an interesting angle. I think everyone sees themselves as a protagonist to a certain point. Maybe more dom. Um, uh, sorry, let me. Maybe FI users at least, because they live according to how they feel a lot, or they they maybe they say they mm. are more in tune with how they feel and about things, so they live accordingly. But again, FE users don't not live according to how they feel. They feel their feelings are dependent on an external source to a certain extent. I think that's a really difficult question. I I don't. 
I don't walk around thinking I'm the boss. No. But there are moments where I do think people are incompetent. Mm. So I'm like, come on, guys. It is actually a very hard question to answer. I don't know how I would answer this. Yeah. I, in what ways do I maybe, think I'm Maybe oh. like the good guy, the hero. Yeah, okay. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> actually, when I was younger, I used to... I used to think, and this is a young romantic version of myself, but I used to think that every story in life is a chance for a hero to step in. And that in of itself is a motivation to me. So when I do step in, I do feel grateful that I do sometimes go, oh, that was nice. But actually, even saying that, I don't even think of myself a hero when I do that. So, yeah. If you led the world, what would the world look like? (laughs) Asks you a really big oh one. Oh my gosh! Brilliant. <laughs> the world. Well, first of all, the world would be a better place. Oh god. Emphasis on better. Oh goodness. <laughs> Just have to feel the stereotype there. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. I. What would the world look like? I don't know. I really don't know. I just think. I just think I'll try and do my best to make it better because that's just who I am. Seeing always potentiality. And I think I would try and encourage others to see potentiality, especially if they don't. What would the world look like if I was the leader of the world, do they say? If you led the world. If yeah. I led the world. I think we need a little Latin bit mass more. mass on every corner. <laughs> I think we need a little bit more laughter hmm. and intelligent laughter. I was going to say, <laughs> laughter at good things. <laughs> good humour. Yeah. Um, definitely like to build education for education's sake as opposed to for you know for the sake of consumerism i think i would create there would be a lot more structures and contexts whether on a global nature or in a country level or a a um just even within cities or just you know suburbs or towns to structures to nurture human formation regardless of which i know that's a very generic answer and i, I know that's say, very that's naive that's not the juicy answer that they were hoping for <laughs> sorry to disappoint what is your strategy for empathizing with people i like the word strategy here mm. as in like someone's feeling a feeling what's my plan of attack yeah, like exactly. what's my plan of defense here what's yeah, my approach right. to this situation because <laughs> i have se is number three so i've often recognized things based on experience from the past so i for example and this is where types and and, and systems help a lot so someone's crying obviously tears are involved and and or maybe there's a story of that they're sharing that that is deep i often find things that in my life things that come to mind in my life where i've also experienced something similar and then when I just it just comes to mind, I immediately understand and and you know whatever the response is, cry or you know. And if I don't have an event in my life that is compatible, I find it very easy to draw links. So, hundred percent. Like even today, yeah. we were talking and you teared up while I was talking. Yeah, yeah. That and that happens a lot. Yeah, that's right. Because the yeah. emotional stakes are so like there's just so much, so many emotional stakes in our relationship. And you know my journey. I know your journey. That's like, true. And I think the relationship of the person is mm. says it depends on the relationship I have with that person and what they need as well. Yeah. How do you stay motivated and not burn out? Oh, that's a difficult one. That's a good one. I think constantly reminding myself what the end goal is, and then reminding myself how to what I need to take care of myself in the day to day. There's another question that's kind of similar. If you don't want to answer it because it's okay. too similar, just tell me. 
What strategies do you have for accessing your emotions slash being more emotionally aware? That's slightly different. Yeah. There's different ways. There's a few different. One of them is, um, like I mentioned before, remembering instances in my life. I think experiences and events are a very powerful tool for learning. Um, And I really love, I think it was Louis May Alcott, but I've never forgotten this quote that she used to say, experience is the best teacher. And I know it's such a classic S statement, but I think even for, I mean, ENTJs have SE as a third cognitive function. And we all as human beings live, you know, we go through experience, a lot of our our theories, especially as ends, we would be formed based on some experience somewhere or another. So um, I would remember, try and remember all those times which really affected me. And I think the affectation on yourself is a very powerful tool. Um, and it's a very, it's a biggest tool for growth, I think, in many ways. Um, and so I would, yeah, and then that would, there would always be, a different memory or a different emotion that would be come up from that. So that will remind me that I'm an emotional being as well. <laughs> um, relationships with people, of course. I think there's a stereotype that ENTJs are so goal-oriented that they don't have people in their lives, but more than anyone because ENTJs have, and I was saying that before, they are quite sensitive people too, and so they need relationships more than anyone. They're probably not very good at knowing how to crave how to communicate certain types of ways or um and again it depends on the ENTJ or they might not feel like they need as many relationships in order to for purpose but um they need it and they need a lot of quality relationships I think um yeah and then I think going back to the SC but it ties in with the TE and the NI is that ENTJs grow from experience and being adventurous. So I think being in touch with your feelings is a big one. So meeting people from who have different s- stories, you know, emotional stories, um, listening to them and um, getting to have ex- different life experiences so long they are healthy as much as you can, you know. Obviously when unhealthy ones come, then treat it as like um, providence. I'm a person of faith, so to me it's like, oh, this it's not chance. I don't believe in chance, so I think everything's for a reason. So, yeah, so I treat it as an, an opportunity to grow. And when you do feel for something, I think this has been probably the most difficult for me, is it's okay to to feel, and you've taught me that, it's okay to feel that feeling. So sit down and, and feel the feeling, basically. Um, Love it. Yeah. Good and do what you need for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which types do you immediately assume you won't get along with and why? JC, <laughs> this is a bit of a bait question. Oh, interesting. Well, I think SFJs for sure. Because oh, she named it. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to actually name it. Well, I do know that I'm being very honest. I do. I think I struggle with them mostly because they have completely opposite pers- um, cognitive functions to myself. But saying that, though, I have I know some really really amazing SFJs, and I really respect them. So, but get along with, like you do, you can get along with them, but maybe not connect in a certain way yeah. to a certain point. And I think I can, I can't spend hours with certain types, especially FE types, dominant types. Even NFJs? Yeah, to a certain point, I think if we're always, because FE dominant types is always relationality and diving deep and I, right? Mm. NFJs. And then SFJs is um, relationality on a different level, right? Mm. I think... I would 
get quite drained, being completely honest. Mm. Um, yeah, I do get very drained. Mm. Yeah. So um, it is, yeah, I do need to go away and recuperate. And when was the last time you cried? Yesterday. Love it. <laughs> and as I mentioned, she teared up today as well. Oh, yeah. That's right. I've been a, I've been amazed at how more frequently you cry. Not she's not crying every day by any means, but like mm. when I first met you, you I think you subconsciously or consciously thought it was a sign of weakness. Mm, I did, and that's got to do with my past. Mm. Yeah, not anymore. No, you've grown. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> it's been amazing. I wouldn't cry in front of anyone. That's no, for of sure. Oh, 100%. That's very sure. Hundred so percent. To most people, I don't cry at all. Mm. It's a great sign of vulnerability. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you enjoy being the intimidating person in the room? Why does it come from any insecurities? <laughs> Let me Why say. Why did I think we could power through this? That's hilarious. I used to be, and I realize it is an insecurity. I thought it wasn't. I thought it was just my personality. Um, but yeah, no, I think to a certain point it is a little bit. But then at another point it's not as well because we – Enjoy is one thing and noticing is another. I think, you know, if you notice that you're intimidating others, if you're enjoying that intimidation, you've got to ask yourself why are you enjoying it and what does enjoyment mean, you know? So if I notice I'm intimidating others, I sometimes if that person I think needs to be intimidated for the sake of some particular goal, you know, and I'll give an example just to, to make take it clear. This person down a peg. <laughs> well, exactly. If someone's like arrogant then I'm not going to back down and I will and I I will you know I will challenge them and challenge as much as I can I'd love to see them stop and like reflect and of course there is um I'm human so I do have a little bit of enjoyment in that on a human level Mm. I'm not saying that okay you can stop and think like I have the and I the fact that I have the ability to challenge you you know I think there were times I did used to enjoy when I was a lot younger, I did notice it as an insecurity because I felt like I didn't know how to connect with other people in any other way. But um, definitely not now. So, Do the high expectations that other people have for you scare you? Yes, definitely. All the time. I think because I then take them on seriously, quite seriously, and put them on myself. And they can become a little bit of a crippling factor for me. So... But they also do challenge me. It depends how they're being done. I have myself particularly, I do have particular wounds with high expectations because I'm the eldest of a big family and a very close family and um, a family, uh, an Asian family growing up in a very Western culture. So there's a lot. I mean, if you don't already recognize some of the stereotypes there, those stereotypes are actually quite true to some extent. But um, I have obviously been challenged by them. So that's who I am the way I am now. But yes, I have had to like also understand that I probably have particular wounds regarding to that and how to work it out and, you know, heal from those. Mm. Yeah. How do you get along with INTJs? Oh, I love INTJs. It's it's very easy. Very, very easy. But also they're the most frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Are they the most frustrating? You're because... just frustrated by anyone when you see they're not reaching their potential, let's be honest. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I... I, um, that's not to say INTJs don't reach their potential. No, they it's do. Just they definitely do. I think I really, really connect naturally well with INTJs. I know what they're thinking. We we connect really well, and and uh, I think there's a mutual 
value for intellectual debate and intellectual analysis constantly. So I really enjoyed that and I have some very good close INTJ friends. Most of them happen to be male, ironically. But um, yes, but I also do see their flaws very quickly because that's very much my flaws. So I had that question quite a few times, so I decided to include it. Mm. We'll do three more. Fellow ENTJ here, do you have any advice on finding a career that best fits our type? Oh, there's a lot of career advisory things out there. And I did struggle with this for a long time. I actually still do. I think there's a few answers I'll give to that. I think one is know and discover what you're really passionate about. Because I do think if you don't know that, it's easy for you to step into an area and be very good at it too. And that could nurture as your passion. So if that's an an avenue by which you need to do, just step into something. Sorry, I basically gave two bits of separate advice there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so one, know what you're really passionate about. I think that helps very much so. But also know yourself because if you are very passionate about a particular topic and you don't know where your limits are, you can easily step into a particular area and burn yourself out in the process and then end up hating or having triggers or um, regrets about that particular area. And that could actually be quite harmful sometimes. So if you know yourself and know your boundaries and treat it um, really well, that could be very helpful. So an example I could give is, Um, I had a very unhealthy attachment to a particular idea of academia and I pursued it but pursued it in a way that was a bit unhealthy and I think that has quite burnt me out a little. So um, that's not to say the desire and passion is not there. I still have it but I might approach it quite differently next time and I need to give myself a bit of a break, maybe five or ten years. So that's an example. But the other thing as well is just do it. I think we do build up a lot of ideals and I think we sometimes – A lot of people say, oh, you could be so good at this, your potentiality in a lot of things. Um, You could be the best at this and this and this. And there's a lot of, you know, you listen to a lot of voices. I think listen to your own voice, but just do and have fun in the doing. And I think you would find that you'll be good in the career and thrive in something that you just naturally find that you're good at doing. So um, So when are you going to take this advice, Marie? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> in the bane of my existence no ex- yeah so i think tap into the fi know what you're passionate about and just do something mm. and have fun with it if you're not having fun listen to that basically love it mm. have you ever deeply hurt a loved one as a result of not prioritizing their feelings and slash or your own and do you feel ashamed about this i think i have but that person's never told me Um, That person also very deeply hurt me. I think it was because we were both very young and I was obviously when you're younger, you're a lot more selfish. So yes, possibly. But it wasn't because of, oh, you know what? It's maybe because of a goal. Um, I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing because we've never been able to, he's never been able to tell me that. So. And do you feel ashamed of this was the second part? Oh yeah. Well, if it is the truth, yes, I do. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if it, if it was done unhealthily, but again, I don't know. So I, I currently don't, I, I do sometimes think back, oh, maybe I did. Um, I have tried to approach it, but the circumstances are such that I haven't been able to. So I can't just like be ashamed of that. And so I've, you know, just let it sit there and 
moved on. But if he ever came to me and said, that hurt me, yes, naturally I will. I can say that a few times in our relationship, as being an F, there were times where you prioritised addressing a principle mm. before validating my feelings. Okay, and there were good. moments, but you, you know about all these moments because I brought them up with you. Yeah. There, there's only been like, I could count on my hands how many times, one hand, how many mm. times it's happened. And, but then I think both of our self-awareness would come in because I would realize I'd be, I'm okay, I'm triggered right now because Marie's not validating this feeling that I'm, that mm-hmm. I have, but she's fighting, she's fighting for something she really believes in with my best interests at heart. She's trying to tell me something. And in that moment I do then go, okay, my principles are right, but I'm too attached to how I want to see those principles carried forth. And mm-hmm. I haven't taken Kristen into the consideration and that I'm really ashamed because that the person yeah, you know the person you love is a very important thing so mm. and then yeah. but then you recognize it so quickly and you're able to immediate like those times you've immediately said oh I'm sorry and I'm like no it's yeah not. and there's right. no there's no ill will between us yeah exactly because again so, yeah. we trust each other's intention yep and yeah. that's been really helpful for me in terms of because when those emotions take over, they can take over everything. And in mm. terms of pinning that emotion and having a healthy coping, like, okay, I'm going to pin that for now and I'm going to actually really try to listen to what Marie's saying or mm. vocalize this right now. So say something like, sorry, I'm, I'm just struggling to listen to you right now because I feel really emotional. And I've yeah. said that to you a few times and you've yep. been like, oh, okay. And then that's like a a sign to sort of tap into the emotions for yeah. the moment and that's good for us and our friendship. And yeah. And in that moment when you say that, I do feel quite ashamed because I'm like, oh, classic me. I, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. So you don't need to feel ashamed. Own, like you're yeah. human and you should feel proud of the way that you handle it because like we – I think sorry is a better word than ashamed. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the right word for sure. Yeah. And that's good. Like apologies are the best things ever mm. and forgiveness as well. Love yeah. it. Obsessed. <laughs> All right, last question. Kind of a big one. Mm. What is the most frustrating thing about the world? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, frustrating thing. Again, like you'd said this before, but I think people not meeting their potentiality. I think frustrating is an interesting word. I Yeah, again, maybe I used to be more frustrated. I think now I've crum- grown to accept it and not frustrated, but I still see a lot of, you know, things would be nice to, yeah, a bit more detached to it. Let's put it that way. But uh, I think there's a lot of suffering in and evil in the world naturally, but I think a lot of the results of which is because, well, so many things. I think I see some ways in which they could always be better and they might not be right ways, but sometimes I see them and I sometimes if they're not being done or if they're not there then I'll go oh I'd like to why aren't they there that would help fix certain yay problems you know um a bit more concrete examples I think technology does frustrate me quite a lot (laughs) sorry we are in a world of technology (laughs) maybe that's why ENTJ is not on this (laughs) no no I I think just because technology is a really useful tool um but I think technology with mixed with a lot of different things has been – I've seen a lot of ill effects with technology and seen how it's broken down humanity in many ways. Um, definitely brought humanity together in some ways. But, um, 
This is the kind of question you're going to go away later and be like, no, I've, I should have said this. I should have said this. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's so many things. I, I know. Like I know. So I think because I see the potentiality in a lot of things mm-hmm. as as dominant and I. So and TE analysis. Mm. So I'm constantly seeing what could be mm. better and not seeing it being meted out. And that's where maybe a little bit of a frustration comes through. Fair and understandable. But, um, yeah. Gosh, well, this was a whopper of an interview. I knew it would be. I'm very excited to release it. I think there's a lot of good material in here for coming to understand ENTJs, female ENTJs, ENTJs in general. Mm. Uh, Any last words you want to give to the community or about the interview or just about life? No, just I really appreciate the questions. They're really good. I I appreciate that they weren't all about small talk. (laughs) (laughs) That body question was hilarious. (laughs) Classic. Thank you to all of you guys for your submissions with the questions. Again, we had about 130 of them, so I could only choose. Well, I listed 48 and I think we answered about 40 of them. So that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Marie, for coming on this episode. Really appreciate it. And I hope you'll come on again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Kristen. No worries. And guys, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend and consider following the podcast. And if you're on a podcast platform that does allow ratings, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating. If you're interested in checking out more MBTI content, please head over to my YouTube channel, Dear Kristen, to see my skits, share them around if you feel so inclined and if you enjoy them, or head over to my Instagram page, dear.kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N, if you'd like to see some of my favorite comments from YouTube and if you'd like to participate in my type trend polls. You can also now check out the raw answers from each of my type trend polls in PDF documents that I've uploaded to my website at hellodearkristen.com forward slash type trends. So definitely check those out if you're interested in seeing the verbatim answers that I get for all of those type trend questions. Thanks again for listening, guys. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Bye.